0: Really appreciate the songs that we had this morning appreciate jeffrey's communion it's odd how things work uh, in god's kingdom uh, one of the scriptures that we are going to use this morning is romans 3 uh, we want to talk a little bit about grace but before we do i want to go to our lord in prayer please pray with me father god we thank you for this good day and father i ask that you use the, the meditation of my heart and the words that come out of my mouth to lift up each and every one of us here. Father, my desire is that you receive the glory and that someone walks away and leaves here with an easier and lighter burden today, with an easier and happier heart and a lighter heart. Father, just be with us. Thank you for each one that's here. We pray this to your son's name. Amen. We want to talk about grace, but before we do, I want to make a disclaimer. The Bible tells us that it is by grace we are saved. But that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ is what saved us. It is by his grace and the grace of his Father, our Lord, that we are saved. As uh, Jason has mentioned the last few weeks about being in the garden, God could have easily wiped us off the face of the earth with a snap of his finger. He could have said, I'm fed up with you. You're not going to amount to anything, and just ended it. But because he loved us, he gave us a second chance. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, second chances. Some of this is pretty dark. Uh, I've, been, I've gone over this for the last few weeks and you know, did some studying, and some of it just was hard for me to, to read and to, to, to cope with and to think about. But it's life, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about grace and the gift of grace. Have you ever been in a situation where you actually needed grace? If you're like me, every day you get up, you're in that situation. Have you ever been in a situation where someone gave you grace unexpectedly? Have you ever been in a situation where you had the chance to return that, that grace? But have you ever been in a situation where you denied grace to someone else. That's a horrible feeling and a horrible thought when you think about it. You could probably say yes to all those questions. You know, all of us want grace instead of justice. Because justice is what we deserve. And grace is a gift. Grace is a gift of love and forgiveness. And the three of them all go together. And if you've ever stood in front of a judge at any time, I know you wanted grace instead of justice. I know every time I have, I've pleaded that he would be uh, graceful and, and not give me what I deserve. And I do the same thing, and I think each one of us do when we talk to God each and every day. Father, give us grace. Don't give us the justice that we deserve. Kyle Adelman wrote a book, and in the book there's a story about a little boy He loved to go trick or treating he would go trick or treating and come back home and get all of his candy poured out on his bed and he separated the m and ms in this pile the Reese's peanut butter cups in this pile the lollipops in this pile the snickers in one pile and my favorite the butterfingers in another pile and he put the Laffy Taffy in another pile so he he did this and then he separated them by colors he put the red ones in one pile and the blue ones in another pile then he did something that very few children do. He got out a piece of paper and he wrote down, I got 10 M&M bars. I got 15 bags of, of M&Ms. I got 10 Reesey Pieces. I got 28 Laffy Taffys. And he put them on the bed, on the table next to his bed. And he went to sleep. The dad came in to tell him good night. He turned around and his Dad had, a, had a, a soft spot for Laffy Taffy. He turned around and saw him sitting there. He said, wow, he's got a pile of those. I think I'll take three. He'll never miss them. So he took three and he went on about his business. Next day, the little boy gets up and he checks on his, his candy. He gets to counting and he gets to checking them with his sheet. And he realizes there's three Laffy Taffys missing. He said, now, I believe Dad came in here last night to tell me good night. Huh. So he doesn't say anything. So the little boy goes off to school and the dad goes off to work and dad comes home. And they're sitting down at the supper table <laughs> and the little boy says, Dad, is there anything you need to tell me? And the dad rubs his chin and says, I don't think so, son. And the little boy says, you, Are you sure? And the father thinks a minute. He says, No, I don't have anything to tell you. And he pulls out the little piece of paper and he says, Well, According to my piece of paper, I had 28 Laffy Taffys last night when I went to bed. This morning I got up and there was 25. You were the only one in the room last night. And his father said, uh-oh, I've been busted. He's been caught. And what his father needed was his son's grace. But what his father did was what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. Well, uh, I You would have never missed it because you had so much. And I didn't think you really needed all that. You remember Adam said, the woman you gave me, she made me eat it. No, she didn't. He had the same choice as she did. He had the same choice as his father did. His father realized that, you know, I need my son's grace so I can be forgiven. And the son realized, you know, I need to forgive my father because I love him. That's what happens with our relationship with God. We need God's grace so we can be forgiven. He's going to forgive us because he loves us. He loved us enough to die on the cross for our sins. So if we're Christians and we've been bought with a price, been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, why in the world do we grace since our sins have been washed away? And I pondered that for a, quite a while, and I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I said, there's got to be an answer. And we've been studying at, at our Bible study at our house, Romans, and a few weeks ago, Tom Madison came across this verse in Romans 7, verses 19 to 20 for what I do is not the good I want to do. No. The evil I do not want to do this I keep on doing. Now I do what now if I do what I do not want to do it is no longer I who do it. But it is sin living in me that does it. You catch that last part? It is sin Living in me that does. It. But you're a Christian. You're not supposed to sin. Christians don't sin. I don't know where we get that idea. Christians do sin. But because we have an advocate we can go to and ask for forgiveness, and he could turn to his father and say, this is one of mine, please forgive him. We are forgiven of those sins. That doesn't give us the re- any reason or any opportunity to to sin more so that grace may abound. It doesn't. We're not supposed to sin. We're supposed to be the example. But if Christians sin, and we can be forgiven, we should share that that glory and that story with everyone else. As Jeffrey said in Romans 3, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. That word doesn't leave out any of us. It means everybody. And that's the reason that there's three things grace can do for us. The first thing is grace is greater than our mistakes. Now, I don't know about you, but I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And I'm sure if you were honest and and truthful to me, you at least say you made one or two in your life. But i made enough for all of us, so that covers it. But as you think back about your mistakes, I think that we sometimes realize that if we had to realize God's grace and realize how we would hurt someone, we might not have done it. In the end of uh, Acts chapter 7 in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, 1 through 3, in Acts chapter 4, uh, I mean, Acts, Acts chapter 9, 1 through 31, we read a story of a man named Saul. Saul stood there as a stone, Stephen to death, and gave his approval. He also went and got letters from the, the uh, hierarchy of the church so that he could arrest the Christians and bring them to Rome for trial. And most of the time, if they went to trial, they were either killed or put in prison. Paul hated the church. In Exodus chapter 2, we read a story of a young Moses. How he was placed in a river Nile. How he was found. How he was raised in Pharaoh's house. How he was nursed by his mother. How he grew up and how one day he was out and he saw this Egyptian... Beating on one of his fellow Jews. Moses killed the Egyptian, buried the Egyptian, and said nothing about it. Then Moses fled. In Exodus 3 and 4, we read about God talking to Moses and saying, I need you to go to Pharaoh. And I need you to tell him to let my people go. And then Moses, just as we do, started giving excuses. Pharaoh's not going to talk to me. God said, I'll take care of that. Moses said, well, I really don't have the words to talk to Moses and don't know what to say. God said, I'll take care of that. Finally, Moses just told the truth. He said, God, I really don't want to go. Please send someone else. That's our attitude sometimes. That's our attitude a lot of times. In Matthew 26 verses 69 through 75. We read the story of Peter. He's been asked three times if he knew Jesus. And three times he said no. The third time, an odd thing happened a rooster crowed, just as Jesus had predicted. You ever denied Christ? Have you ever done everything God wanted us to, you to do? Have you ever said, I'd rather do this, and, and I'm too busy right now. I want to satisfy my own needs. Yet, when Martha, I mean, when Mary Magdalene and other Mary went to the tomb to see where Jesus was laid, the angel told them to tell the disciples and Peter that he was going on to Galilee to meet them there hear the, the last part make sure you tell Peter you see Peter's mistake wasn't final it wasn't fatal it was a mistake just like ours are and then there's a wonderful story of David now David in 2 Samuel 11 he should be out fighting wars doing what kings do but David decided to take the, the war season off he sent somebody else instead so David stays home so David goes out one night and he's walking around on the rooftop. And he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath. Now I know all of us in here would have turned our heads, guys. That was the thing we we're supposed to do. But David didn't. David kept looking at him and realized that she was a beautiful woman. So he sent for her, found out who she was. They brought her to him. It was Bathsheba. She was married, but they slept. David slept with her. She became pregnant. Then she, David sent for Uriah, her husband, and he came home. And David didn't tell him why he hadn't brought home. He lied to him and deceived him. Then he sent Uriah back to the front lines, and told him to put him in the area where the most fighting was, so he could be killed. And he was killed. And then David married his widow. Mistake after mistake after mistake. You ever found yourself in that situation? Where you made one mistake, and to cover it up, you make another mistake. And to cover it up, you make another mistake. Sometimes that's a lot about life. And we, when, I know when I was younger, it seemed like that's pretty much what I did. I made a mistake after mistake after mistake. But in Hebrews 4, verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you see, that's what these these three men did. All three of these men approached God's throne of grace. One of them is said to be a man after God's own heart. But yet he had someone murdered. He slept with another man's wife. He lied and tried to cover it up. But he said he he was a man after God's own heart because he never gave up on God. God never gave up on him and never will. The second man became so close to Jesus that his shadow was able to heal people that fell on Acts 5.15. He came a long way from a rooster crowing, didn't he? The last two, God used one of them to take his people out of physical bondage after 400 years. The other one he uses even today to help take his people out of spiritual bondage. All these thousands of years later, we still read the story of of Saul, who later became Paul. You see, these men became the, the men of Psalms 15. I encourage you to read Psalm 15. They became the men of Psalms 51, 1 through 4. Great four verses. And they had the heart of Psalms 139, 23. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. And that's what it takes. We have to bow down and bear our souls before God in order to be forgiven, in order to understand the grace that he has given us. We have to bear our heart to him But you know, sometimes it means bearing our heart to each other in order to bear our heart to Him. And when we do that, and when somebody does it, don't make fun and don't ridicule. Be gracious and realize that they're coming to you for the grace, the love, and forgiveness that maybe only you can forgive, or maybe only God can forgive, but it has to come through you, or it has to come through us. The second lesson, or second point of the lesson, is grace is bigger than our hurts. You ever hurt anybody? Have you ever said anything to hurt someone on purpose? Have you ever had someone cut you to your soul with the words they said or with their actions? Have you ever just been hurt by the lack of actions? All of us probably can say yes. And all of us probably know somebody that has been, been hurt, and we know somebody that we've hurt. As I was getting ready for this, I was doing some, some looking, and I came across this website called Secret Regrets. That's a sad place. And uh, I spent quite a while reading a lot of them. And the strangest thing is the only thing that they, re- they print on this website is the regret of the day. Like, my regret's more important than your regret. And it's it, it sad, and some of them I read were just just really horrible. I remember reading one that said, I regret saying you were nothing but white trash when you got pregnant in high school. I regret saying you would never make anything of yourself and that baby would never be worth the time it took to create it. I regret calling you names and making fun of you. Tomorrow, our daughter graduates from college. She's beautiful. You did an amazing job. I wish I have been there. And there was another one, one that sticks with me. I was talking to Carol Market about. The old man wrote in, I wish I I regret not taking my life 20 years ago. I'm 28 years old. I suffer PTSD. I'm worthless. I'm not lovable. The best place for me is a grave. Somebody needs some grace. Then there was one more. A young lady was standing over her mother's casket. She said, Mom, I regret that I blamed you for the divorce. I wish I'd never told you I hated you. That was five years ago. We haven't spoken since. Then there was one that wrote in, had a lot of, Mention a lot of things. Like you're fat. You're ugly. You're crazy. You're an idiot. You're stupid. The only time God gives us the right to call somebody stupid is in Proverbs 12, verse 1. It talks about our actions or our inaction. You're ugly. You'll never amount to anything. I wish I'd have never had you. I wish you'd never been born. I wish I'd have never adopted you. Those things sting. Those things hurt. Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me, they never lived in this world because words hurt. And the sad thing about words is once you've said them, you can't get them back. You can say, I'm sorry, the person can't forgive you. But the sting of those words is still there. The sting and the hurt of those words are still there. Colossians 4.16 says, that your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer one another. Proverbs 22:11 says, "He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. That's what I want. I want God to be my friend. I want the king of all kings to be my friend. but you know I want all of us as brothers and sisters to be friends also. In Matthew 18, Jesus had just finished talking to the disciples about when a brother sins against another brother. And Peter, wonderful Peter, asked him, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? You see, Peter had it all figured out in his head. Peter said, seven times ought to be enough. But then God said, or Jesus said, Se- 70 times seven. Verse 22 of Matthew 18. 70 times 7. (laughs) So if you use the math that I grew up with, that's 490 times, I think. And that's a lot. But Jesus wasn't putting a number on the times he was supposed to forgive. What he was saying is that you forgive as many times as you have to. Have you ever heard somebody say, how many times do I have to tell you? Well, you tell them as many times as you have to. Read your Bible. God does that with us. You ever heard anybody say, if I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times, i tell them hundred and one. That's what God does with us. Don't just give up because you get frustrated. Remember, the grace that you give to someone else is the grace that God will give to you. They go hand in hand. I was reading some time ago, and I came across a story, and I changed the name of the, the story. I call it Box 491. The name of the story is I Will Always Forgive You, and it's written by Joni Tata. It comes from a book, Stories for the Faithful Heart. And it seems like there was a brother and sister, Chris and Brent. And they loved to play sports. And the girl, somehow, was better than the boy. But they played. And the girl would sometimes use trickery and shortcuts. And she would be mean, and she'd knock him down, and she'd hurt him, and she'd push him. And then she'd laugh at him, and she'd pick at him. So one Sunday, they had gone to church, and the sermon was on the story I just said, where Jesus was asked, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? So they were playing basketball after the church. The, the brother went up for a layup and the sister cut his legs out from under him and he hit the pavement. And she helped him up and he was hurt. And he told her and she said, well, please forgive me. And he said, okay, I'll forgive you. But you only have 489 more times. And she said, do what? And he said, you remember the story? I'm supposed to forgive you 490 times. And she said, hey, that gives me an idea. So she ran upstairs and she made a chart with 490 squares in it. And she said, each time we hurt each other or sin against the other one, we'll, mark, we'll check it off and write down what it was, and we'll do it till we forgive each other 490 times. The brother says, all right, if that's what you want to do. So it didn't take long for Chris to fill up the sheet. Like I said, she was very competitive, and she got to, to doing it, and each time that she asked her brother for forgiveness, she'd check it off. Box 139 was, I scratched the car. Box 240 was, I stole your lunch money. Box 386 was, I told your girlfriend that you called another girl. And she went through and finally they got the box 490 and she checked it off for the last time. And she folded it up put it in the box. She said, there, see, we made it. And the brother said, yep, we did. And, uh, he, he was kind of put aside by this. So one day her brother asked her if, while he was out to wait for a phone call. You see, her brother had been become a great pian- pianist and he was waiting for a call from the New York, City Orchestra, to come audition for the orchestra, and he wanted to go out with his friends, and she was going to stay there, so he asked her, take the call, and she said, sure, so the call came in, and the call said, the lady said, be here Thursday, 10 o'clock, she said, she wrote it down, said, I got it, hung the phone up, went on about her business, Well, Saturday night at supper time, the mother said, Brent, when are you supposed to go for your audition?" As soon as she said that, Chris's eyes got bigger saucers and her jaw fell open. She said, the audition was Thursday at 10 o'clock. She burst into tears. She ran upstairs, threw a a few clothes into a bag and ran out and left and ran away from home. She got in her car and she left. She drove 40 miles away from her hometown. Didn't go back. About five years later, she was working at a restaurant and a lady came in that knew her and she recognized Chris and she said Chris I'm so sorry about your brother. Chris says, what do you mean? She said about the accident. She said what accident? She said about your brother's accident. She said what happened? She said well I thought you knew your brother was killed 10 days ago in a car wreck. Again she ran out and got in the car and drove home. She ran upstairs to her old room, and it was just like it was when she left five years earlier. There on the dresser was her little shoebox. Girls like to put stuff in shoeboxes. I don't know why that is. We had four of them. and They put stuff in shoeboxes all the time. But there was her shoebox with all of her stuff. She opened it up, and there was a picture of her and Brent playing basketball, another picture at Christmas. And then she op- She found the little cardboard uh chart she'd made with the 490 squares they'd all been crossed. But then she realized there was something new in the box. She opened it up and it was another chart with 490 more boxes. And the first box said box 491. The forgotten phone call. It had been checked off or X'd out in red. And across the rest of the cardboard in gold letters were the words always forgiven. And then she found a note that had been taped to it from her brother, and it said, "Chris, you were the, always the one that kept score, not me. I forgave you as soon as you realized that you've forgotten to tell me about the phone call. I love you always, Brent. You know that's the way God is with us. We keep score where she's hurt me." Fifteen times. How many times has she forgiven me? Well, he did this to me, or he did that to me. Well, how many times have they forgiven me? God does the same with us. God doesn't keep score. God forgives us each and every time we ask him. He's ready All and waiting. All he wants us to do is ask him. And say, Lord, I made a mess. I blew it. Can you forgive me? Lord, I've had a hard heart. Please fill it with your love and your forgiveness. Lord, let me be the example that you, to others that you have been to me. You see, grace expressed express through forgiveness is the response to God living inside of us. When we forgive, we become so much like Christ that it's amazing because that's what he did. He came and forgave. That was his sole purpose, to teach us how to forgive and to forgive. And the third and final point is grace is greater than our circumstances. You ever felt hopeless? <laughs> you ever felt like you were at the end of your rope? You ever felt like, what in the world do I do now? Who do I turn to? Where do I go? I know, having been married to a teacher, that I've heard those words sometimes. I'm at the end of my rope. And thank goodness she wasn't talking about me. She was talking about her children (laughs) in school. And I remember sometimes her saying, I got to tie a knot in the rope, just hang on. I was talking to Karma not too long ago, and she has a, a child, a special needs child. She said he couldn't say glory hallelujah, so he just said hallelujah. And I think that's what happened Friday afternoon about 3.15, 3.30. There was a lot of gloryelujahs that it was over, that they had a break. And not because the teachers don't love their students, because I know better. Because they needed a break. They needed some time to rest and some time for their own. But grace is greater than our circumstances. In John chapter 8, there's a story about a woman. It's called an adultery. The Pharisees and the Sadducees bring her to Jesus. They say, We've caught this woman in adultery. The law says we're to stone her. Jesus doesn't deny that. He stands up and says, okay. Then the person here who has no sin can cast the first stone. You see, he forced them to stop looking outward and made them look inward. They all dropped their stones from the oldest to the youngest because Jesus wasn't there to change the law. He was there to change their heart. And that's what he wanted to do. Then we have the woman, John 4, at the well. Jesus is there about noontime, and she's there drawing water. Noontime is an odd time to draw water because it's hot. But she was there because she was tired of the little innuendos and the finger pointing and the whispering and the gossip and the words that hurt. So Jesus comes there, him being a Jew, and she's a Samaritan woman. He asks her to give him some water. She's surprised because they're not supposed to be speaking, and they don't even get along. So they strike up a conversation. And then Jesus says, go get your husband. And the woman does an amazing thing. She tells him the truth. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, what you say is true. You've had five, and the man that you are with now doesn't love you enough to give you his name. Five divorces. One's one too many, but if you ever go through one, it's enough. She's been through five. Jesus tells her to go get her husband. She's honest with him. And then they continue to talk, and she goes into town and brings the rest of them back. See, Jesus wasn't there to fill an empty water jug. He was there to fill her heart with the love that she so desperately wanted. And that's what he does with us. We may go to the well to get water, or we may go somewhere to get a need, but Jesus always goes above and beyond what we expect. Then there's the woman Uh, who had the blood disease in Mark chapter 5. You know that story. Jesus was in a crowd, and and she said to herself, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. As soon as she touched him, Jesus felt the power go out. And he asked in the crowd, who touched me? And she did an amazing thing. She came and fell at his feet. The Bible says that she told him the whole truth. She told him Everything. Then he did an amazing thing. He called her daughter. There had to be an amazing thing for her. You see, Jesus didn't mind that he was her last hope. What mattered to Jesus was he was her hope. That's what he is for us. He's our hope. He doesn't matter it doesn't matter to him if we use him as a last resort. He just wants us to come to him with a broken heart, with a contrite heart, and with the love of him living inside of us. Then there's a story in Luke chapter 15, a wonderful story, about a young boy who talks his dad into giving him his, his inheritance. And he gets it in his money, and he takes off. He's going to the, to the big city, and he's living the highlight. He's got a girl on each arm. He's got a four-horse power ch- chariot. He's living the big life. And he's living like there's no tomorrow. And then one day, tomorrow gets here. He hires himself out to feed the pigs. Now, Jews don't do that. So he got to thinking, you know, I can go home and do better than this. I can go home and eat better and have a place to live, and I can tell my father and ask my father to forgive me because I've sinned against him. The story says that the father saw the boy, the young man, afar off and ran to him. That's the way Jesus, God is with us. When He sees us struggling, when He sees us hurting, He's waiting for us to come to Him. We think He's far off sometimes, but He's not. He's just a prayer away. He's just a, a question away. That's how close He is. There's a song that the Hopper sing called "It Shouting Time in Heaven. Uh, and it talks about when a sinner comes home, how the angels rejoice. That's the way. God does, and that's the way we should do. When someone who's been away from God, or who doesn't know God, comes home, we should rejoice. We should be so excited that we can't control ourselves. It should be the greatest, one of the greatest moments of our life. But you see, the young boy didn't come home because his stuntman was empty. He came home because his life was empty. He was lost. He was lost. And then there's the story of Mephibosheth. Just a wonderful story. It's in uh, Second Samuel, uh, I believe, chapter 9. Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul, and David wanted to do something, King David wanted to do something, so that he could repay Jonathan's kindness. So he asked about, was there anyone left in Saul's family that he could... Uh, give something to, and they found there was Mephibosheth. Uh, If you read the story, Mephibosheth had been dropped when he was a child, and his legs were crippled, and he could hardly move. But Yet, King David sent for him. When Mephibosheth came to the the temple, he fell at David's feet. And David told him that he was going to restore all of his grandfather's land to him. And at the end of the, the... passage it says you will eat at the king's table forever that's where I want to eat we did that this morning we do it every first day of the week it's a joy and it's, to me it's a privilege and it's an honor and I hope each one of us looks at it you don't think chef understood grace well I do But you see, grace is only grace if it goes both ways. Receiving it from God, but refusing it to give others is not an option. And there's no place, nowhere, no place, no hole, there's nowhere where God's love, grace, and forgiveness can't find you. Romans 8.38 says it better. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor heights nor depths nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't run. You can't find a place where God can't find you. There is no place where God can't find you. Even in your deepest, darkest hours. even when you think that you, the only thing you deserve is a grave, God is still there. When you think that you've made a mess of, of your life and you can't tell someone that you love that you're sorry because they've gone on, there's still that chance to get grace and to get peace. Kyle... Eiderman writes this this statement. He said, the worst thing that could happen is that you spend your whole life trying to outrun God because you think he's chasing you to to collect what you owe when he's really chasing you to give you what you can't afford. And there's a lot of truth to that. We spend our lives running away from God because we think he wants to collect a debt from us and we owe him a debt but what he wants is our love he wants us to have a pure heart toward each other he wants to be us to be forgiving of each other he wants us to be a family he wants us to be the family that he put us in the family that he died for second Corinthians: says, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. If his grace is sufficient for us, then we ought to have the attitude that our grace should be sufficient for each other. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for just the grace that your son showed on the cross when he died for our sins. (laughs) And, Father, we thank you for that grace that you've shown, that while we were still sinners, you loved us enough to send your Son to die on the cross for our sins. And, Father, let us have a pure heart. Let us have a heart that's willing to love, that's willing to forgive, that's willing to be gracious to one another, that's willing to share that grace readily and openly. Let us always look to you, Father, for our example. Let us not take it on ourselves to try to rationalize why we can act the way we want to act. Let us always turn to you and see how we're supposed to act. Father, we ask that your love and your forgiveness and your peace and your grace live in each one of us. We ask that you forgive us of our sins. Father, we ask that you let us forgive each other of our sins. We thank you so much for your son. We thank you so much for your word that was preserved, that can still teach us to this day. We thank you for the heroes in the Bible that live lives worthy of their calling. And Father, we thank you that even the heroes have times in their lives when, when they fail. But they never gave up on you, Lord, and we won't either. We ask that you never give up on us. We love you. And praise this to your son's name. Amen.